Hello, and welcome to Seroptimus International Voices, where we give a global voice to women and girls. SI Voices is a space where women's stories and issues are heard as we celebrate 100 years of our remarkable organization. We will reveal and rediscover the history of our global movement while educating and informing on many of the key challenges affecting women and girls today. Hi, I'm Dawn Marie Lemons from Tustin, California. We're bringing today the issue of ethical storytelling and why it's important in advancing our anti-human trafficking work. Now, the issue of human trafficking has been one that Seroptimists have been involved in since it was defined as a human rights issue worldwide in the mid-1990s. I have to say this topic hasn't been popular or easy to be involved in, and sometimes actually it's been dangerous for some of the Seroptimists in the countries they live in. Yet, since 1995, with our SIAM project, we've pledged to be change agents in every way that we could, from prevention to education to programs and advocacy for changing laws. Local and global work continues to be done by Seroptimists worldwide, and often we participate in partnership with other organizations. In fact, right now we're working on our human trafficking prevention program as part of our Road to Equality project. Today, I'm so pleased to have Dr. Sandra Morgan of the Global Center for Women and Justice from Vanguard University in California as our special guest. Sandy was a former Seroptimist and has personally been involved in local and global leadership through education on ending human trafficking for many, many, many years. Her bio is on the Seroptimist website along with links to her Ending Human Trafficking podcast, which has already presented over 250 episodes on issues related to human trafficking. Now I could spend our entire time today mentioning her credits, but want to get right into the topic of ethical storytelling and how it's so essential to the work we do to advance anti-human trafficking. Sandy, I haven't said nearly enough about your career. Could you briefly tell us why you're so involved in anti-human trafficking work and reveal some of the highlights of your work? Well, thank you so much, Don Marie, for inviting me to be on this podcast. I am an avid supporter of Seroptimus, past member, received a Seroptimus award that sits proudly on the shelves in my office. My work with anti-human trafficking began before I really understood what modern slavery looks like. I still remember being a night charge nurse in pediatrics and admitting a 14-year-old boy whose uh, addiction burdened parents had actually been selling him to support their drug habit. That is now a common story that I hear in other countries and right here in California, Don Marie. And then as my journey grew and I lived in other countries, I began to see evidence of human trafficking in Europe, in Germany, in Spain, in Italy, in Greece. And I lived in Greece where I became very involved in advocating 
for the passage of a law like the one we have here in the U.S., um, the Trafficking Victims Protection Act. And I became a volunteer at Doctors of the World Shelter, working with survivors of sex trafficking. And then I became much more aware of the stories of labor trafficking victims. And I really want our listeners to understand my experience now has spanned decades And while the stories, and we're talking about ethical storytelling today, while the stories of sex trafficking absolutely reach out and grab people practically, metaphorically, by the throat, um, the stories of labor trafficking are also compelling, and we have the same level of human rights abuse. Oh my gosh. You know, you've gotten right into the issue of ethical storytelling. And I am reminded about going to the UN probably 25 years ago and hearing this amazing woman who was the United Nations Special Rapporteur on Ending Violence Against Women. And she cautioned us that while we should use storytelling, we needed to make sure that that storytelling was not being a further pornography. And that was so profound to me. And yet here I am from a nonprofit organization and know that storytelling is a really important aspect of us encouraging people to understand and know about our work. So then I heard your podcast with Rachel Goebel a few months ago on this topic, and I knew that we needed to start looking into this um, as it relates to how we approach our advocacy and prevention work as citizens and also as from nonprofit organizations. Could, could you define ethical storytelling for our listeners? I have been on a journey to understand ethical storytelling as you've already mentioned, from a nonprofit perspective, storytelling is part of our toolkit to engage people, um, to raise the funds to do the good work that we've done. And so one of the components of ethical storytelling is to make sure that you are aligned with your values. Ethics is based on the values dilemma that we face in everything we do. And so if truth is important to us, then we don't want to stretch the story for impact. The ends does not justify the means. We don't want to exploit the story for the purpose of promoting the mission. So that becomes transactional, which is not one of my values. I become very conflicted when I hear people justify telling a story in order to raise the money. And when especially the egregious exploitation and human rights abuses that people who have been sold have experienced. Why would we use, and for listeners, those are 
air quotes, those stories to make money that is also transactional. And so it's a, it's a very gray line for some people. And the idea of ethical storytelling is going to be a commitment that you as an individual take upon yourself and you ask yourself, what are my non-negotiable values and how will I align how I tell the story? Some of mine are, they must be true. They must not be transactional. They must respect the individual, the integrity, the wholeness of that individual, and they must do no harm to that individual. That has given me even more food for thought. Um, I, I wrote down a quote that Rachel said in your podcast, and that just, I think, capsulize what you just said, that ethical storytelling was born out of a need for the organization to educate about a cause, but also make sure that the stories further their movement and their mission and the mission. And I thought that really puts the onus on the organization to make sure that we have ethical practices as, as individuals and as organizations as well. We're going to go a little bit also into consent um, in a moment. Just before we get into that, um, I was really taken um, taken with the example that Rachel gave on the project she was involved in called the Sold Project. And I'm sure you have many examples um, of personal experiences um, where there has been danger or problems related to not taking into account ethical storytelling and wanted you to give us one of those stories. Let me tell you about a young woman who, when she turned 18, the nonprofit organization that was providing residential aftercare for her brought her a consent form and brought the cameras in so that she could tell her story and they would be able to use that story for fundraising. It was used on the internet. It was used by news media. And uh, just a couple of years later, the young woman began to realize that her story could be accessed anywhere. And when she signed that little piece of paper, just days after she turned 18, she did not fully understand that consent. Now, I'm a nurse. I understand about when people sign a consent form. And in the hospital, it was called an informed consent. That means I gave them all of the possible counter um, indicators of taking that medication or having that surgery, fully informed consent. We don't do that in media consents. We just say, sign this. You don't need to read the rest of it. It's okay. Trust me. Well, um, at one point, this became part of her trauma and she suggested, maybe I need to change my name. Um, people will look this up and find this. And I'm 
I'm getting an education and I'm going to be a professional. And now look, I can never get rid of this. That's why ethical storytelling is so important because that individual deserves to have the right to choose who knows her story. And, and Sandy, that huh, that I've heard that story before, and it just always gives me kind of this deep sigh because one of the things you've said before is that when people do sign that consent and that story is presented, it kind of ends. It sort of sort of looks like that's where she ended, but her life goes on, and she's made the choices, and there's also information about her family potentially out there that has changed. And yet she's kind of frozen in time with that consent that she signed that has that wasn't deeply thought about. But I think we still need to to explore the sunset policy that the the time at which that story can no longer be told, going back to the person and seeing what they would like us to do with it. Is that correct? Is that a good way of saying it? The idea of the sunset on the story is based on a very old model of communications in our nonprofits and in our media as a whole. Because of the internet, it is almost impossible to pull a story off. And um, another one of our survivors here in Orange County, and she's written her story so that this is very public. And I really suggest that you read Hidden Girl by Shima Hall, who was a child labor trafficking victim. I love her story because it's a scholastic book. So you can start teaching these principles um, to kids in school. Scholastic books are sold at middle schools. But in Shima's story, the media told her story. The media took pictures. Other people grabbed them from the internet. They showed up on their web pages in their books. And I'll never forget one particular image that when Shima told her story and the news media were there and taking pictures, she did not want them to use, they caught her. She wanted them to tell the story. And this is important. Ethically, the, what the person wants to tell is what needs to be our focus, not what we want to show. Well, they caught a picture of her glancing down. And when you capture that still shot, you can read into it remorse and sadness. And that became the main picture for the story. And Shima's response was, wait, I did that story because I wanted people to see I've changed my life. I went to high school. I have a car. I have a job. I'm successful. And instead, this picture, and I was task force administrator at the time, and it became I mean, somebody called me Joan of Arc because I was calling websites and insisting they didn't have the right to publish that picture, take it down, 
because they were then using it to raise money on their websites. It showed up in a published book without the permission of the person it was taken of. Wow. See, now that's the story we need to hear and need to think about. And this is such a short little podcast that is a tease to start learning about topics and new issues. That's part of our intention of this SI Voices. So, gosh, we're almost at the end of the time that we have. And and I want you to think about some great takeaways and, and action items for our audience that is regular people on the move. It could be Seroptimus, other nonprofits, or just anybody out there listening. What what should we they be doing? What we should we be doing, Sandy? Define clearly what your values are. Your values become the baseline for your ethical decision making. And when those values collide with real life choices, you need to already have a plan for how to engage that. When your values collide with the mission and you have to choose between a person and a program, then you already needed to know that people over programs is one of your values. You already need to know that the truth over making more money is your value. And when those ethical values are clearly stated, then making the decision is much easier and it protects the long-term vision and mission of your organization, and it contributes to building a culture of respect and value for every human being. Absolutely. And I think that's part of our our ethic with our organization is be knowledgeable before you, you take action. And actually, the thing you haven't said as much, and I want to say it, is Join the organizations that are the professionals, that are ethical, that have programs. Part of what we do, and all of us that are listening right now can do, instead of creating new ways of solving things, go and help the organizations that are already on on board, that have the work, that have the connections, find out what they need and go support them. You may, I'm sure if you're really involved in it, you may find some really creative and interesting aspect of it, but start with the the professionals that know what they're doing. So I think that's just about the end today. And I, Sandy, I could talk to you all day and sometimes I have, but I'm so happy that you joined us today and and presented a a little window into this very, very um, important topic of ethical storytelling. And I want to remind you that there are many, many podcasts that address many, many aspects of human trafficking and other work that you might want to do um, with the EndingHumanTrafficking.org podcast. So please look that up and thanks for joining us today. 
You've been listening to SI Voices, a podcast hosted by Seroptimist International. Follow us on social media for our latest news and updates at Seroptimist Global on Facebook and Instagram and at Seroptitweet on Twitter. You can also check out our website, seroptimistinternational.org. Please join us next time on SI Voices.